At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? So it's the State of the Union. It's going down right now. Joe Biden's out there, Joe El Baboso Biden, and he's saying things like, uh, we got to finish the job, and and lots of other platitudes as he put out there. And uh, we're going to bring you a little bit of that in a moment. Uh, I just want to let you know we're going to be getting into this all night. We're going to talk about the economy. Uh, We're going to welcome your calls a little bit later on as well, 833-4-VALDEZ. But I want to dip into this so that you don't miss it because it's really a sight for sore eyes. We made clear, and I made clear in my personal conversations, which have been many, with President Xi, that we seek competition, not conflict. But I will make no apologies that we're investing in, to make America stronger. Investing in American innovation and industries will define the future that China intends to be dominated. Investing in our alliances and working with our allies to protect advanced technologies so they will not be used against us. Modernizing our military to safeguard stability and deter aggression. Today, we're in the strongest position in decades to compete with China or anyone else in the world. Anyone else in the world. And I'm committed. I'm committed to work with China where we can advance American interests and benefit the world. But make no mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country, and we did. Look, let's be clear. Winning the competition should unite all of us. We face serious challenges across the world. But in the past two years, democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracy has grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. America's rallying the world to meet those challenges from climate to global health to food insecurity to terrorism to territorial aggression. Allies are stepping up, spending more, and doing more. Look, the bridges we're forming between partners in the Pacific and those in the Atlantic And those who bet against America are learning how wrong they are. It's never, ever been a good bet to bet against America. Never. (laughs) Well, 
When I came to office, most assured that bipartisanship assumed was impossible, but never believed it. That's why a year ago I offered a unity agenda to the nation as I stood here. We made real progress together. We passed a law making it easy for doctors to prescribe effective treatments for opioid addiction. We passed the gun safety law making historic investments in mental health. We launched the ARPA-H drive for breakthrough in the fights against cancer, Alzheimer's, and diabetes, and so much more. We passed the Heath Robinson Pact Act, named after the late Iraq War veteran whose story about exposure to toxic burn kits I shared here last year. I understand something about those burn pits, but there's so much more to do. We can do it together. Joining us tonight is a father named Doug from Newton, New Hampshire. He wrote Jill, my wife, a letter, and me as well, about his courageous daughter, Courtney. A contagious laugh, his sister's best friend, her sister's best friend. He shared a story all too familiar to millions of Americans and many of you in the audience. Courtney discovered pills in high school. It spiraled into addiction and eventually death from a fentanyl overdose. She was just 20 years old. Describing the last eight years without her, Doug said, there's no worse pain. Yet their family has turned pain to purpose, working to end the stigma and change laws. He told us he wants to start a journey toward American recovery. Doug, we're with you. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. Big, you got it. So let's launch a major surge to stop fentanyl production in the sale and trafficking, with more drug detection machines, inspection cargo, stop pills and powder at the border. Working with couriers like FedEx to inspect more packages for drugs. Strong penalties to crack down on fentanyl trafficking. Second, let's do more on mental health, especially for our children. When millions of young people are struggling with bullying, violence, trauma, we owe them greater access to mental health care at their schools. Yes. We must finally hold social media companies accountable for experimenting they're doing, running children for profit. It's time to pass bipartisan legislation to stop big tech from collecting personal data on our kids and teenagers online. Ban targeted advertising to children and impose stricter limits on the personal data that companies collect on all of us. Third, let's do more to keep this nation's one truly sacred obligation to equip those we send into harm's way and care for them and their families when they come home. Job training, job placement for veterans and their spouses as they come to return to civilian life. Helping veterans afford the rent because no one should be homeless in America, especially someone who served the country. <clears throat> Dennis McDonough is here of the VA. 
We had our first real discussion when I asked him to take the job. I'm glad he did. We were losing up to 25 veterans a day on suicide. Now we're losing 17 a day to the silent scourge of suicide. 17 veterans a day are committing suicide. More than all the people being killed in the wars. Folks, VA is doing everything it can, including expanding mental health screening, proven programs that recruits veterans to help other veterans understand what they're going through, get them the help they need. We got to do more. And fourth, last year, Jill and I reignited the cancer moonshot that I was able to start with President Obama asked me to lead our administration on this issue. Our goal is to cut the cancer death rates at least by 50 percent in the next 25 years, turn more cancers from death sentences to treatable diseases, provide more support for patients and their families. It's personal to so many of us, so many of us in this audience. All right. So President Biden, that's live. Uh giving the State of the Union address, and uh, he's mentioned things uh, using his strategic smile and squint and his whining tone, you know, saying, let's finish the job, come on, and uh, insulting Republicans, saying that they're going to take the economy hostage. Uh, Just, you know, he's had a couple of uh, interesting dust-ups there where he received some booze, but for the most part, he's kept it focused on really positive things, like the things he's talking about right now, like uh, eliminating cancer by 50%. Good luck, President Biden. I hope you do. I've got a family member going through cancer and it's not cool. It's not easy. It's not fun in the least. And I don't know that the president's going to do anything to reduce it by 50%. But these types of things are things that everybody can get behind. And uh, he's got quite the skill in discussing those things. He also talked about giving teachers a raise, but mentioned nothing's about giving cops a raise or anybody else who's got a difficult job. Uh, It's just interesting to see where his priorities are. And I mentioned all of his job growth, but left out that many of those jobs were created in states that are what would be known as a red state or a Republican state. Uh, I think four out of the five top states are all red states. So we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, He also mentioned fentanyl uh, killing 70,000 people a year and said, you got it when uh, they said, close the border. So I think uh, we're going to see if if we're really going to hold him to, to account on that, he also said we got to work with FedEx to close the border and end the fentanyl crisis. I didn't know FedEx was responsible for it. Maybe I'm not in the know, uh, but it just seemed interesting that he threw that out there. And uh, he said he's uh, committed to holding China accountable and protecting U.S. sovereignty. Oh, boy. Oh, we, we've been talking about that for a few days. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Our guest coming up to help with the analysis of the State of the Union and uh, bring you more clips uh, from the uh, speech will be Governor Scott Walker. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. We're the only country that has emerged from every crisis we've ever entered stronger than we got into it. Look, folks, that's what we're doing again. Two years ago, the economy was reeling. I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs. More jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all, because of the American people. 
All right, that's President Biden at the State of the Union address this evening. And with me to uh, discuss what's going on with the State of the Union is former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, president of the Young Americas Foundation. Scott Walker, welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right, Governor. So you just heard Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, discussing how many jobs have been added. And, you know, I couldn't help but do a little snooping around. And I looked at the top five states uh, producing jobs in 2023, Texas, Nevada, Florida, Georgia, and New York. Uh, Out of the top five, only one is run by a Democrat. The rest of them seem to be run by Republicans. And it would make sense to me if if Biden's policies were so popular and and job creating that this would be happening in states like California and and Oregon and all of these these big um, left leaning states. So my question or my thought uh, is, is Biden telling the truth here? Is he really responsible for this job creation? Well, yeah, as, as usual, there's uh, there's uh, partial lies, total lies. When he went after some Republicans for trying to do something, Social Security and, and Medicare, that was an outright pants on fire uh, lie. <laughs> In this case, the 12 million was uh, kind of a half truth. I mean, t- two things with that. Not only the fact that you look at the state's Overwhelmingly, not just those ones you mentioned, but overwhelmingly, uh, the top states not only now, but but over the past several years, top states for job creation, top states for low unemployment rates, overwhelmingly are ones led by Republican governors. Conversely, some of the bottom states are the reverse, and the states for doing business. It's an, an area I knew well when I was governor. We we got to the most jobs created ever uh, during the history of my state when I was governor by putting in place pro-growth policies that empowered the people, not the government, to create more jobs. So, yeah, it's a shared responsibility doing better in red states than blue states. But the other big thing that's Mm -hmm. important for people to put in context is any president following this pandemic was going to have a surge. The question was how much, because, of course, after the shutdowns, uh, we know that uh, there were so many jobs lost early on in 2020 many of which took quite some time to come back from. So you mentioned Nevada, for example, the surge there was because finally this past year, the uh, tourism industry came back. So it's important to put things in context. Most important factor though of all of them, um, national poll, Washington Post, ABC News poll shows that 41%, the highest in the history of that poll back 37 years, the highest number of people who say, uh, that they are doing worse off today financially than they were uh, two years ago when he took office. That spells big trouble for Joe Biden. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that here. ABC News, record numbers of people are worse off. A recipe for political discontent. That's according to the new poll. It says here nearly four in 10 Americans um, think that they were better off uh, before Joe Biden. This has got a, I don't know, for lack of a better word, it's got to suck for Joe Biden that everybody, you know, at least that high of a number feel that this is not a good situation to be in. As a former governor, if you had to give Joe Biden some advice, what would you tell him, Governor? Well, I'd say look to, of all people, a guy who was just with him recently, Bill Clinton. Um, Obviously, he's never going to be the orator that Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton and and Ronald Reagan, uh, one obviously a Democrat, one a Republican, were in a totally different stratosphere sure. in terms of being orators. So they have a huge advantage, something like even Barack Obama didn't agree with his policies, uh, sky high uh, you know, in terms of rhetoric on this. So, But the way I say turn to Bill Clinton, not so much for his style, but substantively, the advantage of, of Bill Clinton was in 1996, 
in particular. That's where probably one of the most famous lines in the State of the Union address. He said the era of big government is over. And then he qualified by saying we still have to, you know, take out, uh, look out for those in need. But it was a, a strong and unexpected uh, message, uh, not just to members of his own party and not just to Republicans in the Congress, but to Americans that, hey, this guy, even though he's a Democrat, he, he's reaching across the aisle. He kind of gets it. He wants to get things done. I didn't hear a whole lot of that tonight, except for what was a little bit ad lib. And that is, I referenced it a moment ago, uh, when he, in his prepared speech, basically was trying to scare Americans into thinking that some Republicans might be thinking about um, somehow cutting back in Social Security and, and Medicare. The, you even saw the speaker just shake his head and say, no, you know, but you heard not just from a handful, but you heard widespread pushback on that from the Republican members so much so that he actually backed away from it and said, well, I'm glad to hear that uh, nobody here seems to be wanting to cut uh, uh, Social Security and Medicare for seniors. Well, that was a huge uh, moment in the sense that that was one of the few bipartisan moments. Uh, they all stood for that, but I don't think that was a part of their plan. I think strategically they wanted to try and falsely paint Republicans in that regard. And uh, at least for those tuning in, they clearly saw that that's not the case. Nobody's credibly arguing to cut Social Security or Medicaid for, or Medicare, excuse me, for seniors. That's an excellent point. And we have a clip of that audio. We're going to play it when we come back from the break. Uh, but I, I wanted you, you brought something up that I think is incredibly important uh, when you mentioned this ABC News poll. And as I was looking through it, you know, it wasn't just the um, the initial number that you mentioned. That was obviously the uh, the top line. Uh, but if you keep going, it talks about a really high number of people that don't want Biden to run again, uh, even amongst Democrats. And I'm thinking, given what you're discussing on how he's missing the mark on a lot of issues and trying to paint the Republicans in a certain light and getting that pushback, uh, it seems even Democrats are are dissatisfied with with the, the approach. The number I'm looking at here is this nearly six in 10 Democrat aligned adults uh, want, don't want to see Biden nominated again for the job. And only about half as much on the Republican side would, didn't want to see Trump at, at that time when it was last done, the poll. So I'm thinking, man, this is not good. He's doing worse than Trump was with his own party. And th- this clearly, in my opinion, spells trouble for him. Do you agree? Oh, hands down. I mean, again, you saw in the past Barack Obama, obviously the man he was vice president for, uh, you know, a lot of people... Uh, on the right of center disagreed with his policies, but had great respect, uh, certainly for his command of the issues, being on top of things, you know, was a formidable foe on, on many of these debates. Um, and I certainly that's why his, his own party rallied around him. I think many people here look and say, hey, we're, we're, we're not, we don't have our best foot forward. We don't have the best person out here making the case if you're a Democrat. Yeah. Governor, hang on right there. We're going to hit this pause. We're going to be right back with Governor Scott Walker, president of Young America's Foundation. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans... Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. Oh, boy. Liar, liar, pants on fire. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way, our telephone number. If you want to join the conversation, it's 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is former Governor Scott Walker, president of Young America's Foundation, YAF.org, or you could find him on Twitter, at Scott Walker. Uh, Governor Walker, we were talking about this clip, and I find it fascinating that he was uh, brazen enough to go there and attack all the Republicans to their face at one time, and it seems like it backfired. Oh, big time. I mean, talk about looking weak, uh, twofold. It was the weakness, the fact that he stumbled over it. It was obvious he wasn't prepared or whoever put that text in there wasn't prepared for the pushback. And I don't blame him. Some people might say decorum. Well, when you flat out lie like that, uh, there, there's not a, a person, a credible person in Congress who's bringing it up. That's like saying, well, I might have heard somewhere. I mean, that's we all know people like that say the worst of rumors. I, I might have heard this. No, it, it, it's not going to happen at all. But but secondly, where it really backfired, it's not only for him, but for his party, if their argument was going to be uh, that uh, Republicans might be thinking that he just got the largest audience possible to hear Republicans flat out say, no, that's not at all what we weren't. And then he acknowledged it by saying, well, I guess that's good news that nobody here wants to get rid of Social Security or, or Medicare. So a huge, huge misfire on his part. Yeah, I think it's a it's a huge L myself. I, I really think he I, the point you made is brilliant that he um he had them all in the room on the record and they all said, no, 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 boo, boo, liar. And they screamed everything under the sun. Uh, but they also saw him cower and he, he, he became really weak and he didn't really have much. And he just, call, call my office. Just call my office. If you don't believe it, it just seemed ridiculous that that guy is the leader of the free world. 
And and, and I guess that brings up where, where we are now with um, he, he he's trying. It seems like he's trying too hard to attack the Republicans. And I would say that's likely because there's not much he can bring to the table. There's not a lot of results. Uh, there was another part where they said he mentions fentanyl is killing 70,000 people a year. And again, from the Republican side of the aisle, they yell, close the border. <laughs> and he goes, you right? got it. Uh, now he's on the record saying he's going to close the border, but he's going to use FedEx. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I, again, this is why the poll you mentioned before has even members of his own party uh, <laughs> right. questioning whether they should run again. Although, it, interestingly enough, it, it, it is largely age-shaped, uh, certainly uh, skews more conservative, therefore more Republican, older. But even amongst Democrats, uh, those who probably are ready for a change, ironically, are, are some of the older folks who realize they could do much better. Younger voters, interestingly enough, we saw it in November – uh, about a 70-30 split in battleground states like Wisconsin, Arizona, um, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, those are voters who went 70 or more in the 18 to 29-year age group. And a lot of pundits in Washington think that was because of, you know, uh, ad campaigns or other things that could be shifted. Said no, this is years of liberal indoctrination, not only in college but increasingly in high school and younger ages. And we see that with the work we're doing at Young America's Foundation, you have to push back on that. So he may have issues, but as long as he doesn't back away from some of these points, those are things that get those younger voters riled up. I don't doubt everything, anything that you're saying. I believe there's a lot of liberal indoctrination and it's happening in higher ed and, and in other places, the government, uh, every time we look, they're implementing something new with DEI, this, that, and the other. But I, I also think there's a degree of, a lot of these younger voters really legitimately don't know better. They may have been born or at least were high school age thinking about voting during the Obama administration. And, and, and that's what they knew. You know, I'm, I'm 44 and Reagan was president um, when as far as I could remember, you know, like when I was a little kid. And so I heard some rhetoric that was different than what this than what you hear today. But I'm thinking there's not too many people who've had a chance like that to hear, you know, any type of conservative uh, principles and, and, and talking points. And if you haven't heard them, you haven't heard them. And I think that's well, no, exactly, where so many young people are. You're exactly right about that. In fact, we love being you mentioned, Reagan, we love being associated with it. We we actually still own and operate the ranch that used to be the Western White House, the president, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Reagan, had. But, but I think back to that time, and even to a certain degree, Bill Clinton, I didn't agree with his politics, but that was kind of this lofty, aspirational um, uh, rhetoric in the best of terms. I mean, Reagan talking about a shining city on the hill. I would argue if you look at not only State of the Union addresses, but most of the speeches our 40th president gave, you could give them today and they would be just as inspirational because they were about big ideas. They weren't just about specific programs. They weren't just a checklist of things. And that's why people forget this, but that age group I talked about, Reagan actually carried in both 80 and 84 the youth vote. Um, and that would be unheard of uh, today. But I think, you know, he was, again, that very optimistic, visionary person could talk to people in a way that connected. And, uh, with Barack, if you came of age under Barack Obama, you didn't hear anything else. You just kind of think, okay, this is Uncle Joe, the less articulate version of him. And, and that's why our work <laughs> is cut out for us. We, we need to point out a counter. We need to make our voices be heard on campuses and schools and even things like uh, big tech and social media and elsewhere to just give a counter. Because I think a lot of young people are hungry for an alternative. I think tonight they heard this and were perplexed 
they liked some of the items on the checklist, but at the same time, they were confused thinking, how can this guy claim he wants to work with the other party and then attack him on some of those things where there was such heavy pushback? It was it filled a lot of contradictions. Yeah, 100 percent. And uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're on with, uh, with former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. He's president at the Young America's Foundation, YAF.org. Check out the work they're doing. It's amazing. And you can find uh, Governor Walker on Twitter at Scott Walker. And uh, we're breaking down the State of the Union and some of Biden's biggest. Uh, I'll be friendly and call him faux pas. Uh, in his speech. Uh, otherwise, it was pretty much more of the same, like, you know, don't do bad things and uh, let's stick together. We're Americans. Let's get the job done. Finish the job. And all these other things he's saying. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Governor Walker straight ahead. We're also going to learn about some of the great work they're doing at Young America's Foundation. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down, not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. Our take-home pay has gone up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Joe El Baboso Biden giving his State of the Union address. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to give a call and get in on this conversation with me and former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, president of the Young America's Foundation. Now, Gov, tell us a little bit about uh, the work you've been doing. I remember when you took the job there and I said, that's great. Scott Walker did a, a really kick-ass job uh, as governor. And I thought, man, you're really going to do great things for a great organization. Let's talk about some of that. Well, thanks. Yeah, we uh, simply put, we trained the next generation of leaders in the fight for freedom. It actually started way back at William F. Buckley's home. Ronald Reagan was one of the earliest leaders working with college students. We still do that. But 25 years ago, when we took over the Reagan Ranch, we expanded the high school. And just last year, we expanded the middle school because the left, sadly, is trying to indoctrinate young people at younger and younger ages. YAF.org, if you're a student, your parent, grandparent, whatever, we've got conferences for college, high school, middle school students. We're the largest lecture series out there. And we just surpassed 1 million subscribers on YouTube. And why that matters is our research shows that the number one way this generation, Generation Z, young people get their information is on YouTube. And so every time we take a a prominent speaker on the campus for a lecture series, or we have a conference where we have speakers at, we broadcast those all. And part of the big exciting part of it's kind of like the interchange you have on the radio where people not only give a lecture, they take mm -hmm. Q&A from the audience. And that uh, really engages viewers. So we had over 600 million uh, views on, on uh, YouTube alone. So we're, we're making a difference, but there's a whole lot more work to be done. Well, let me tell you, and, and I don't uh, want to suggest that you're glossing over this, but the, the work that uh, YAF has done over the years that I've observed, I've seen, you know, Ben Shapiro, Dinesh D'Souza, some really great speakers really, really take apart some really big topics and bring it to college campuses all across America uh, for Young America's Foundation. And, and these are great, not only when they're live and they're on campus and people are 
like you said, having that, that live exchange and, and obviously, you know, the majority or at least half of the people that go there, go there to heckle or to give you a hard time. And sometimes <laughs> they can't, you know, because, uh, these, the people that you're bringing, the speakers are prepared and they're ready to go. And the other side of it, like you mentioned, is it lives on in perpetuity online and people can share it. And I mean, I see stuff like this pop up in my social media all the time. So I think it's, it's a, it's a yeoman's task, but you guys are getting it done. Um, what else are you doing? And obviously you need, you need manpower and you need money and donations. So, um, before you tell us what else you're doing, tell us how people can donate. If people want to say, you know, I want to support young America's foundation. They're helping to maintain the Reagan ranch and trying to make sure that we hold on to the status quo of, uh, patriotism in America. How do they help? YAF.org, YAF.org. Uh, last year alone, we had over 96,000 supporters from across the country. And, you know, we put these on uh, basically at little or no cost. So someone can come out to the Reagan Ranch or they can come out to Washington or we're going to have a packed crowd, for example, in Dallas, Texas this weekend for one of our regional conferences. Um, we put up the funding that put them up in a hotel pay for their lodging, pay for their food, pay for bringing any spectacular speakers. And it's through the generosity of folks giving us, you know, anywhere from $25 up to, you know, uh, a couple million. Uh, there's people all over the spectrum that help out. So we also have a lot of folks that, that help out. Uh, one of the best ways that we get young people to these programs is through referrals. So might be a fellow student, might be a parent, might be a teacher, might be a youth leader at church or some other organization or grandparent. Uh, pass that on because uh, uh, these young people are so brave. And the number one thing we hear is not just that they love speakers, like you said, Ben Shapiro, Ted Cruz, Christy Nome, you name it, we've got them all. Uh, but it's that they understand they're not alone. They come to these events and they realize, wow, there's other young people that share our values, that share our thoughts. And that's probably the most uh, exciting thing of all. Yeah, it is outstanding work that you're doing. Now, in addition to, to the, the campus program or the speeches, what other work are you doing and how are you getting it done? Yeah, we go on the campuses. So pre-COVID, we were on over 2,000 campuses, either through our chapters or working with other groups, not only bringing the lectures in, but doing activism, uh, challenging aggressive uh, professors and teaching assistants and others out there. We have a legal department. We work with groups like Alliance Defending Freedom to protect not only our speakers and chapters, but any other right of center organization having the right to be heard on campus. Because that's the number one problem right now is, is uh, poll after poll. In fact, there was just one done by the University of Wisconsin system, a place I'm familiar with, uh, that showed that the uh, uh, overwhelming majority of students on campuses, as we've seen in other polls, feel intimidating from expressing their views. You know, particularly at public institutions, free speech is guaranteed in our Constitution. But at a college or university, it should be revered. And sadly, that's where it's most at risk right now. And so we're pushing back, uh, not just through conferences and lectures, but to make sure that students are not intimidated and that we've got the force of not just the law, but the Constitution on our side. Outstanding work that you're doing. Uh, listen, amigos, if you can help Governor Scott Walker and the Young America's Foundation, I urge you to do so. I think they're doing outstanding work. And if you want to see this country have a competitive advantage and um, the the thoughts, the teachings, the ideology that we all uh, learned and admired President Ronald Reagan for, um, this is your chance to do it. Give them a shout. 
at yaf.org and drop them a check because that's how this stuff gets done. Governor Walker, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you staying up late. We're live. There's a few million people on a few hundred stations across the country to tune in every night to listen to our program live. And and uh, I'm, I'm really appreciative that you uh, didn't let them down. My pleasure. Great to be with you. And a shout out to my wife's uncle, Phil Tarantino, who is a longtime listener of your program. Good oh, to, that's good to fantastic. See, uh, hear you, I should say, Uncle Phil on the way. All right. Shout out to Uncle Phil. We love you. All right, Governor Walker. It is an honor and a pleasure. I hope to have you back. Anything you need to promote, yeah, if you let me know, we'll get it done. Thank you. God bless and keep fighting for freedom. Yes, sir. Now, folks, more to come straight ahead. We've got former uh, current governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders giving the Republican response. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. with Rich Valdez. Good evening. I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Being a mom to three young children taught me not to believe every story I hear. So forgive me for not believing much of anything I heard tonight from President Biden. From out of control inflation and violent crime to the dangerous border crisis and threat from China. Biden and the Democrats have failed you. That's, uh, excuse me, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders delivering the Republican response to Joe Biden's State of the Union. The president gave his address this evening. And, um, you know, when he was saying things that weren't true, when he was uh, doing the liar, liar, pants on fire, yes, he did get booed. He did get called out by the Republicans. And I think that uh, backfired in in a spectacular way. Uh, He also mentioned a lot of things that need to be addressed. And she's right. You know, you can't believe everything you hear. When you hear Joe Biden say a lot of these things, uh, lamentably, there's a lot of people that only tune in for the State of the Union because they don't like politics. They're kind of apolitical. They're just like, look, I vote for whoever I think is good. It's the, the middle. And that's fine. Listen, I'm not saying they shouldn't be that way. I'm just saying that there's a lot of them. And when they only tune in for the State of the Union or Joe Biden is speaking in sound bites that are dishonest, and hoping that, you know, someone in the media that's friendly will pick up on those sound bites and just play those, you know, ad nauseum tomorrow and the rest of tonight, et cetera, and all over social media, that that's the message that'll get out there. Uh, but it's important to know that there are people holding him accountable. You know, you had half the room there that was booing him when he said things that weren't true, like that the Republicans are going to destroy Social Security. It's not true. Uh, When he says things like inflation's gone down every month for the last six months. Yes, while that is true, we're ignoring the fact that when he got into office, it was at uh, 1.4 or 1.5%. Wow. You know, (laughs) this is a a glaring omission of the facts. So I think it's important that we pay attention to those things. And if we have a moment, I want to tap back into the live feed of Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the Republican response and failing schools and sentencing them to a lifetime of poverty. We will educate, not indoctrinate our kids, and put students on a path to success. It's time for a new generation to lead. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. A new generation born in the waning decades of the last century 
shaped by economic booms and stock market busts, forged by the triumph of the Cold War and the tragedy of 9-11, a generation brimming with passion and new ideas to solve age-old problems, a generation moored to our deepest values and oldest traditions, yet unafraid to challenge the present order and find a better way forward. If we seize this moment together, America can once again be the land of the free and the home of the brave. During my two and a half years at the White House, I traveled on every foreign trip with the President. A trip I will never forget was on December 25th of 2018. My husband Brian and I had just cleaned up wrapping paper that was shoved into every corner of our house, thanks to our three kids. When I had to walk out on my own family's Christmas. Back in here, that's uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, former, uh, excuse me, current governor, former White House press secretary, uh, current governor of Arkansas, giving the response. We're going to continue to monitor that and bring you some clips as we move forward. Uh, But we're also going to talk about what's going on with Biden's energy agenda and how is that going to impact the standard of living for Americans. All of that and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle and keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. We'll be right back. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, on all the social media. If you want to give us a call, it's 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want you to hear this uh, clip from the State of the Union, President Biden uh, yet again attacking America's energy production as the culprit here, even though he's the one that kind of caused the problem with his energy restrictive policies. But listen to this. Have you noticed Big Oil just reported his profits, record profits? Last year, they made $200 billion in the midst of a global energy crisis. I think it's outrageous. Why? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they used the record profits to buy back their own stock. Rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Now, listen, I, I, I would have been laughing at him, too, 
uh, because I find it fascinating that Biden comes in and signs a sweeping, I don't know, 54 executive orders in his first days in office. And uh, many of which were about this uh, idea of we have to stop drilling, we have to stop leasing federal land to anybody that's drilling, to anybody that's, uh, you know, trying to basically stifle the uh, American energy industry and then turn around two years later in his second State of the Union and say, uh, you know, we we need more domestic production. So I I think it's really rich. And of course, in the interim, there's all of this um, quasi-political policymaking that's going on between the government and and big businesses and corporations where they're focused on ESG, the environmental, social and governance policy and infrastructure that they've created to, to make sure everybody's green compliant. And it, it, all of this has happened, yet he, you know, he plays, uh, you know, coy on this. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, with us to make sense of some of this stuff is a former Wall Street banker and turned filmmaker, Kevin Stocklin. He uh, produced a movie called The Shadow State. It's a documentary I saw it, uh, that you could see on the Epic Times. Kevin Stocklin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Rich. You bet. So, you know, in hearing that clip uh, from President Biden talking about, you know, how we need to ramp up domestic production, what's your initial reaction to that? Uh, I think I'm laughing right along with the audience. Um, you know, few few presidents have done more than our current president to undermine uh, our, our fossil fuel and our energy production in this country. Um, and it reminds me as well a little bit of uh, kind of the uh, Soviet Union in the 20s and 30s when they were hunting for speculators to try to figure out who, who destroyed our economy, who did this to us. Um, you know, this is what we hear from Biden and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. You know, we have to we have to root out the speculators, uh, you know, and the excess profits from the capitalists, et cetera. Yeah, and I think it's it's a great comparison that you made, uh, but it's sad that that's the comparison that you're making, right? We're comparing the United States to the, to the former Soviet Union, and, and there's so many similarities, sadly. Uh, but why do you think um, – I mean I think it's clear he's doing this because he's beholden to somebody somewhere, whether it's the actual green movement or those that want to change the way – our economy works, change it to something that's more battery operated with, you know, what they want to call renewable energy and and focus on uh, electric vehicles and whatnot. But to me, that seems like it's just a play to those who have the monopoly on cobalt and lithium, i.e. China. And and I just think that's how I see it. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's interesting how it's been framed. It's been framed as a, as a what Biden calls the incredible transition from dirty fossil fuel energy to clean renewable energy. And that is actually not how we should be looking at it at all. What this is, is an attempt to transition our economy, in fact, the world economy, from a fuel-based economy to a mineral-based economy. And that transition requires us to move from uh, an energy source that we're self-sufficient in, that is abundant, that is affordable, that is transportable to a new energy source uh, that is we basically have to mine it in countries that are not friendly to us, China, Africa, places like this. It is refined, the vast majority of it in China. Um, And it is hugely polluted. It, It pollutes rivers. Um, the strip mining that they have to do to get these minerals out of the ground, 
Um, all of this is devastating to the environment, not to mention all the CO2 emissions that come from extracting it, refining it, shipping around the world and everything else. Um, and it creates an enormous dependence on foreign countries where we could be self-sufficient in all of the abundant energy that we have right here in the United States. Yeah, but of course, critics are going to turn around and say, no, but you can't do that because fossil fuels are finite and they're going to run out. And if we keep drilling, we're going to ruin it for our children and our children's children and for generations to come. Um, that, that's actually incorrect. We we have fossil fuels in abundance. The, the limitation is not on what's available. The limitation is really just on our willingness to invest in extraction and refining. Um, you know, the, the shortage, in fact, is on the other end. All of these mines, the cobalt and the nickel and the aluminum and everything else that we need for these batteries and these turbines uh, and these solar panels, that is what is, is basically uh, that we would not really even be able to acquire enough minerals and dig up enough minerals to, to satisfy this, this transition. Um, but one of the questions that we ask in this documentary is, even if we buy this, even if we buy the narrative, is this ESG movement actually reducing carbon emissions? Is it even mm-hmm. succeeding at that goal for all the pain and the inflation and the shortage and everything else? And the answer is no. And that that's not even necessarily my conclusion. Uh, there's a gentleman, Tariq Fancy, who was uh, formerly the chief investment officer of BlackRock. And they're one of the biggest advocates for the ESG movement. Right. And he has come out and, and admitted there's nothing about this movement that actually helps the environment or reduces carbon emissions. Wow. And not to mention, I was looking at some uh, figures the other day. I wish I had them in front of me. But it, the amount of fuel that it takes to run these these mining machines is some outrageous, like 10,000 some odd gallons of diesel fuel per hour. I thought, you know, that doesn't seem like a, a good way to produce a better piece of energy in, in a lithium battery. Yeah, it's really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a great swindle because what they do is they only, they only measure the emissions within the country. So once we have, for example, EVs, once we have EVs in the United States and we run them and we're not going to worry about the fact that we have to run power plants to actually charge the things up, but we say it's zero emissions. No, no carbon dioxide comes out of the tailpipe, right? But what we don't measure is all of the emissions and all of the pollution that went into creating those vehicles, um, as I said, through mining, through refining, mm-hmm. through the transportation of batteries, etc. Um, so none of that is ever taken into account. We measure our own carbon footprint within the United States or Germany or Vermont or where, you know, whatever it's, but we don't take into account the entirety of everything that went to produce an electric vehicle. They've done studies and it, you know, a lot of this is based on assumptions, but on average, an electric vehicle takes between six and eight years to break even in terms of its carbon footprint when you measure how much carbon it took how much carbon emissions it took to actually create an electric car. So you generally have to d- drive them between about 60 to 80,000 miles to break even for what's called the carbon debt. And that is all the carbon emissions that went into making it in the first place. All right, America, we are on with Kevin Stockland, He's a former Wall Street banker turned film producer. And we're discussing uh, Biden's energy plan and how ESG 
isn't what it's cracked up to be. We're going to talk about how that has an effect on inflation and how inflation is affecting all of that. When we return, don't go anywhere. And make sure you check out his website, theshadowstate.com. The film is called The Shadow State. Theshadowstate.com is the website. I am Rich Valdez. He is Kevin Stockland. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. In a world of a clean energy future, I visited the devastating aftermath of record floods, droughts, storms, and wildfires from Arizona and New Mexico to all the way up to the Canadian border. More timber has been burned, as I've observed from helicopters, than the entire state of Missouri. And we don't have global warming? Not a problem. In addition to emergency recovery from Puerto Rico to Florida to Idaho, we're rebuilding for the long term. New electric grids that are able to weather major storms and not prevent those fire, forest fires. Roads and water systems will stand the next big flood. Clean energy to cut pollution and create jobs in communities often left behind. We're going to build 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations installed across the country by tens of thousands of IBW workers. All right. That's uh, President Biden uh, a little while ago at the State of the Union address. And my um, guest right now is Kevin Stockland, uh, former Wall Street banker turned filmmaker. Uh, he's the producer of The Shadow State. You can check that out at theshadowstate.com. Kevin Stockland, in, in looking at um, what Biden's talking about and listening to what he said, uh, how do you see all of this talk about the federal government's investment in electric vehicles, how do you see that ultimately helping the consumer? Uh, I mean, it's not going to help the consumer at all. Um, government industrial policy is, has always been uh, a failure throughout history. They choose the wrong technology. Uh, they stick with it too long. It, it inspires cronyism and tremendous waste, and this is going to do absolutely the same thing. Um, what they are trying to do is push uh, and compel Americans onto the electric grid uh, for electric cars. Um, there are a number of, of states that are now banning gas heating in new homes. You have to have electric heating. We've all heard about this uh, you know, issue about trying to ban gas stoves. But mm -hmm. what they're trying to do is push Americans onto the electric grid. For some reason, they think this is a solution. Um, the electric grid is barely able to handle the demand that we have today in the United States. We are experiencing for the first time rolling blackouts you know, throughout the country. Um, right. in, in, in Tennessee, where I live, we are supposed to be one of the most stable regions of the power grid in the United States. And we had rolling blackouts uh, during Christmas. So um, what's happening, that's, not, that's what's happening on the demand side. On the supply side, it's even worse because what this movement is doing is retiring fossil fuel uh, power generation plants, coal certainly, but natural gas as well. And they are replacing them with wind and solar, which are intermittent. They work when the sun shines or the wind blows, um, but they can't supply power to the grid all the time. And what, so they use uh, the, the stable supplies, which is nuclear and fossil fuel, to cover those moments when the intermittent uh, power supplies are not working. However, 
at some point, which is coming soon, you uh, add so much unreliable power into the grid that it becomes unstable. And that is what we are starting to see in the United States. So at the very moment that they are pushing Americans to be dependent on the, on the electric grid for the most basic things, heating our homes and transportation, they are at the same time creating instability into our power grid. Um, at some point, this is going to create a major crisis in the country. And what do you think this crisis amounts to? Is it going to be something that's, you know, in comparison to um, just more of a financial crisis, kind of like what inflation is causing? Or will it be like a, a, a commodity issue, like we won't have enough energy, enough infrastructure uh, or a combination thereof? I mean, it depends on how far down this path we're going to go before we turn around. Um, you know, right now we are experiencing – now, they've just barely chipped – into our fossil fuel production. Um, it's it stayed at generally around 83, 84% of the world depends on fossil fuels, and, and they've chipped away at that by a few percentage points. And we can already see the effects of that, right? right. In the price of food, in the price of fuel, and, and, and fossil fuels, it goes to the entire economy. It's not just what you pay at the pump. It's manufacturing, it's transportation, um, and farmers uh, rely on uh, diesel fuel for their tractors. They also rely on fertilizer, which is a derivative of natural gas. So we've just kind of started down this path, and we're already seeing the effects. But if they actually uh, push the grid to where it starts to break and starts to crack, um, you know, you can think of all the things that we rely on for that. It's, it's not just heating our homes. It's computers. It's, it's everything. So and we are being pushed to become even more dependent on it. You know, the diversity that we have in power sources, we can use oil and natural gas and everything else for heating, etc. You know, we're now being pushed to be ever more dependent on this grid. So it, it really depends on how far down this road we continue to go before we stop and say this is insanity. Yeah. And, and this is uh, kind of what, part of what you outline in your film, The Shadow State. Um, tell us a little bit, I guess, final word to you with The Shadow State and um, letting us know where people can check out the film and how they can get a copy of it, etc. Yeah, well, um, it, you can go to theshadowstate.com, but it is also free to um, any Epoch Times subscribers. Uh, this was produced by the Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H-T-I-M-E-S. So those are the two places uh, where you can watch it. And with... Um, with respect to that, the uh, I love the title. I think the shadow state is pretty cool uh, because, especially with your talk about ESG and how it almost seems like big government or these big industries are in cahoots with the government be, being a shadow state. And I don't know that we make that go away entirely. But what's your overall take on how we minimize its impact? Yeah, you know, we, we don't want to let people think that all hope is lost. There's been tremendous pushback. Uh, red states are pushing back. They are boycotting ESG banks and um, asset managers. Uh, red state attorney generals are bringing lawsuits against Good. the uh, government for collusion. So, you know, there are a lot of efforts being made to push back against this. I think this year is going to be a year where this absolutely heats up because both sides are, are uh, gearing up for a major clash over these issues. If you if you had to guess, would you think we um, we see a, a continued decline uh, or a continued pushback, which leads to a decline, or 
or do you think it's it's going to continue to be an uphill struggle? It, it, it's it's hard to say. The, the supporters of this industry, um, so they've got tens of trillions of dollars of assets. Right. They have uh, virtually every Western government, certainly the Biden administration, and um, corporate leaders are generally in support of it as well. On the other side, you have the voters. You have people who are suffering through this, and I think that suffering is only going to get worse. Um, and you have a number of leaders that are coming out in, in conservative states and, and now the House of Representatives potentially that are going to start fighting back against this. So, you know, it's a tough call which way this is going to go. Um, uh, you know, we're going to have to see. But I think it's very important. And the reason that we made this was so that people can wake up to what's going on in this industry. Sure. To be aware. All right, folks, that's Kevin Stockland. TheShadowState.com. Kevin Stockland, thanks for being with us tonight. Very enlightening. Thank you, Rich. You're welcome. All right, now what happens when you're going on a date and you can't afford it because your parents are paying your bills? All right, we're going to get to that with Derek Kinney. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down. Not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. Oh, take-home pay has gone up. All right, so inflation's going down, take-home pay is going up. If everybody's making so much money, why does everybody feel so tight when it comes time to buy eggs? Right? We talked about eggs, I don't know how long ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and they were up like 60%. I heard a report today that said they're expected to go up another 20 to 27%. So we're talking about an 87% increase in eggs? That's insane. So I want to get to the bottom of this. And I'm going to do it with our buddy, Derek Kinney from goodmoneyframework.com. Derek Kinney, welcome, sir. Rich, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, likewise. I'm really happy that you're here because um, you've got President Biden here saying that, you know, things are going terrific. And again, I always like to point out that, you know, when he took office, inflation was at 1.5%. And even if it's at six and a half today, that math doesn't add up, even if it went down. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at this article we've got here. And it says that more than three in 10 adults admit that their parents are paying for at least one of their bills. So how does how do we square this up? You know, it's funny you mentioned the price of eggs. And if they don't start going down, I can't afford my Beyonce tickets. And that's what this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the Beyonce tickets after this because that's a whole other topic. But you're you're right. You know, uh, I, I had eggs today. I, I paid the same amount that I pay for an omelet for a while now. But I'm thinking how much more, uh, how much longer before they raise the price? Exactly. You know, this report you talked about was shocking that three in 10 adults admit their parents pay at least one bill. So what I did, Rich, is on my social media today, I did a poll myself and I asked people what they thought about that. And the feedback was interesting because the biggest expense that many parents pay for their kids is their cell phone. Most of these plans are family plans where it actually saves money. Maybe it costs 20 bucks a month. So I actually thought, okay, 
I could actually rule that out because I asked my wife, I said, honey, do we pay any bills for our, our older kids? And she said, well, they're on our cell phone. I said, okay, well, I really can't fault people there. But what this report is talking about, the rich, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The bills they're talking about are rent, groceries, and utilities. So these wow, are not like their whole life. $20 <laughs> items. I mean, yeah, rent is probably minimum $500 to maybe $1,000 or more per month, groceries, utilities, all of those things. And what's interesting is even millennials, a fourth of them polled say their parents cover their rent. And so the bottom line is there's really this, not just a pandemic, but an epidemic in terms of bad money teaching by parents to their kids. And uh, I've got a couple of reasons why I think that is, but I think this is not an isolated case, clearly. Well, what are some of those reasons, Derek? You know, one of the things I think is that there's not setting expectations with your kids. You know, when I had my financial planning practice, I sold it about two years ago to really take my good money message to the world and help more people with it. But as I would meet with couples, I would encourage them to have what I called critical conversations with each other prior to retirement. What are your goals and what do you want to do? That way they retired not just from something, but to something. And I think that's where the gap is, Rich. I think most parents are not having the critical conversations and setting expectations with, you know, son or daughter, when you graduate college, here's what's going to happen financially. And don't just have it the weekend before they graduate. You want to have this years before. So mentally your child is adjusting to this new way of thinking and this segue to responsibility. And couples that I've coached that have done that report back to me that they have economically independent kids who are proud of the fact that they pay all their bills on their own. Listen, I'm not going to fault anybody ever for improving their parenting. I can always improve mine. Uh, but but I think um, that th- this part of what's going on here with people with three and 10 uh, people paying for one of their kids' bills, I think it goes beyond parenting. I think these are parents throwing their kids a lifeline because they realize their kids can't afford to live right now because they are making less money. Even though you know wages have gone up uh, a little bit, they haven't gone up uh, as quickly as the rate of inflation. So I think even if you make a couple extra bucks, you still may not be able to afford the eggs or the Beyonce tickets. You know, it's interesting you say that because you know, I think right now so many kids are growing up with a lifestyle vastly different than how their parents grew up. And so one of the things I realized, we have four kids of our own, and I began to want to to tell my kids, you know, back when I was your age, and I can almost (laughs) hear my voice getting older as you say that, and, and I began to realize, Rich, that makes zero sense to my kids because they didn't live that, and I that's not fair to hold them to that standard. So my kids are growing up in a much more affluent lifestyle because I've worked hard to build a business. And so that's all they've ever known. But what I realize is there's this sense of almost having to create this hardship economically for our kids where they then have the hunger and they've got the drive to get the brass ring themselves. And I think that's where so many parents, and I've been guilty of this myself, is I wanted to give my kids sort of a better life than I had. And I think that's where we get it wrong is sometimes our best memories are when I think back to when I first got married to my wife and we, we would sit on the back of a, you know, a $50 couch and eat our chips and salsa from the, the local taco shop. And that was like a big splurge dinner because we yeah. barely had two pennies to rub together. And I'm thankful for that. But today's generation, 
probably won't have many of those memories, which really doesn't give them a sense of fulfillment going forward. Right. And it doesn't give them that hunger that you mentioned, which I think is is critical. And uh, excellent point. Excellent point. And I think inflation plays a part. And I also think that lack of hunger because it's a different time plays a big part, too. Uh, Folks, we're on with Derek Kinney and his website is goodmoneyframework.com. But if you want a copy of his uh, ebook, you can check out a couple of chapters of it at goodmoneychapters.com, goodmoneychapters.com. Stick with us because straight ahead, we're going to discuss uh, how difficult it is for folks to go on a date like he did with his bride uh, eating tacos on a $50 couch. If you don't make 30 k a year, it's a deal breaker for a lot of daters, and that's according to a new survey. So we're going to talk about that because this is something I complain about a lot. Being uh, divorced now for a number of years, uh, dating's expensive. We're going to talk about that and more straight ahead with your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. I'm Rich Valdez. He's Derek Kinney. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Look. Junk fees may not matter to the very wealthy, but they matter to most other folks in homes like the one I grew up in, like many of you did. They add up to hundreds of dollars a month. They make it harder for you to pay your bills or afford that family trip. I know how unfair it feels when a company overcharges you and gets away with it. Not anymore. We've written a bill to stop it all. It's called the Junk Fee Prevention Act. We're going to ban surprise resort fees that hotels charge on your bill. Those fees can cost you up to $90 a night at hotels that aren't even resorts. (laughs) Now, listen, that was one of the few times I said, you know what, Joe Biden, President Biden, uh, I could go for that. I, I spent the weekend in Miami, and I can tell you there's all sorts of fees on everything. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of fees that they change. So I, I, have, I like the idea. And listen, if you're getting hammered on junk fees, you definitely aren't going to have the money that you need to take uh, a woman on a date or vice versa. And uh, this article in CNBC, um, here's the headline, says earning less than 30000 a year is a deal breaker for daters. And that's according to a new survey. Uh, Derek Kinney is our guest. Derek Kinney from goodmoneyframework.com. You can find him on Instagram at Derek Kinney. Um, Derek, what what do you think about uh, Biden's curtailing of uh, fees through this act? Well, I think back in the day we called those kind of a red meat comment. It's one that uh, yeah. gets positive applause from everybody. And, uh, of course, who in their right mind wouldn't applaud and say, you know what, honey, I want to save that $90 as well. The reality, though, is we've got to peel back the curtain and say, if $90 in a country as prosperous as the United States of America is what gets people excited, then there's something wrong. And here's why I say that. I wrote this in my book, and I meant it in Good Money Revolution, that people have become so accustomed to really being satisfied with the scraps the government tosses to them off the table. 
We saw this with all of the different incentive programs that, that really got people through the pandemic and so forth. And I want people, Rich, to have a seat at the table. I want them to have control of their own finances where if they want to go on a date, if they want to take their kids out to a special surprise or they want to sign up their kid for the youth soccer, it doesn't break their budget because they've got enough money to live the dream that they want. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that one. Go for it and live it. So when we're talking about these dates, uh, I'm looking at this article and and it was uh, a survey done by of a thousand adults by Western and Southern Financial Group. And it indicates that a third of couples don't even talk about their finances until after they're married. And the uh, this $30,000 number, which is, you know, well below the median, which currently, according to this from 2021, is 30 under $38,000 a year. And I could see how it could be a deal breaker because how could you afford it? You know, um, I, I date and I think the typical, I don't know, a few years ago used to be like 60 bucks for the simplest of things. That today is easily $150. How could you afford that if you're making 30K a year? Well, I think that's the key question there. And it's all about priorities. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm married, you're dating, so I, I can't speak educated on the dating scene, but what I do know is that when we think about our money, there's often deeper issues. And I think that when you talk about rarely do people talk about money before they get married, I go back to it's all about setting those expectations. There was a couple mm-hmm. that I met with about 10 years ago, and they were about to get married, and they, they had both done very, very well. They were blending their finances. And what happened was one of the prospective spouses in the meeting revealed quite a bit of credit card debt that was a total shock to the other person. And in most cases, love blinds them. And they say, you know what? That's okay, honey. It's okay. We'll make it happen. But that was almost a deal breaker because it went to trust, Rich. They realized that if this person is covering up their finances, can I really trust them in an emotionally loving relationship. And it was a lot of walking through with them and really retraining them and real building trust with each other that allowed them to now have a very successful marriage and even more a successful financial life. And I think what holds people back is they think that money naturally happens. You know, we talk about the issues with financial literacy these days, you know, where people who don't have a financial literate background it may cost them an extra $1,000 in just wasted decisions in the course of the year. So I think people underestimate the power that money can have. Am I saying the love of money is the key? No, but I want more people to have more money to do the good in the world they want to do. But it starts with getting them educated so that they think of themselves as the CEO of their money. How, how does somebody get there? You know, what it's interesting because – you know, you want to keep it simple. You know, I, I think back to uh, family, or actually New Year's resolutions. I take my family mm-hmm. through a, a goal-setting exercise at the end of December every year, and they used to moan and groan, and now they actually look forward to it, which is great. But we actually set five goals in five different categories, and the first step is always, okay, what's the one thing I can do to make progress in this goal? So, for example, if someone listening right now has – $10,000 of credit card debt, well, they may say, I want to pay this off in a month. And that sounds real aggressive, but the reality is that's probably not going to happen. But if they say, I'm going to pay down an extra $500 this month, 
Well, now that's digestible, Rich. And if they call a friend of theirs and say, you know what, I've committed to pay this debt down an extra $500, and I want you to ask me about it two weeks from now to see the progress I'm making, now they're really likely to hit it. And if they realize the negative stakes, that if I don't pay this debt down, then I can't afford my daughter to go to college, and she can't have the life I want her to have. Therefore, I need – there's a compelling reason for me to pay down this debt. So if you can boil it down to here's what I want and here's the first simple step it will take to get there, you can do quite a bit with money and really recraft your money story in a 6- to 12-month period to really change the momentum of your money. Excellent. I want to dig into that a little bit more when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Folks, we're on with Derek Kinney, goodmoneyframework.com on Instagram, at Derek T. Kinney. And we'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest is Derek Kinney. And you can find him on Instagram at Derek T. Kinney. Derek Kinney, right before the break, you were telling us uh, about this this kind of roadmap, this plan uh, to make sure that you ensure your own financial success. Let's pick it up where you left off. Well, I think it's important, especially right now, that if you want 2023 to be a better year financially than 2022, you have to do something different. And one thing we know is the government is not going to bail out your retirement. You know, we know that you bear the the brunt of that. And so what I'm telling people right now, and the the guide in my book is, is not about becoming a millionaire by making your coffee at home. If you want to go to Starbucks and buy your favorite coffee, that's great. Just know that you've got to make more money somewhere else to make up for that. But I'm not here to to give you and shame you into financial freedom. The bottom line is when you set some goals that are important to you and you tie meaning to your money. I'll give you an example. There was a woman I met with recently. Her name was Debbie Rich, and she wanted to change jobs. And I said, you know what, Debbie, before you do that, try something. And she was game for it. And I said she was the administrative assistant at at a local engineering firm in town. And she felt like she was sort of the lowest person on on the rung, overlooked, overworked, underappreciated. Many people can relate to that. And I said, what what could you do to help your boss either make more money, save more money, or grow the business? And we began to work up a couple of ideas, and her boss always complained to her about feeling like he didn't have capacity to bring on new business. And so we came up with a game plan of – basically taking 25% of the customers they had, letting Debbie be the point of contact and working out an incentive plan for her, which would free up her boss. She takes this idea to the boss. The boss loves it and says, it's so nice to have somebody that works for me that thinks like an entrepreneur. That one decision made her $20,000 more that year because, because she added value she became more valued. And the last part of the story was they had one salesperson, Rich, at the company that they depended on to grow the business. 
Debbie said, what if you gave an incentive to all 10 employees that if we refer someone to the sales department that becomes a lead, that becomes mm-hmm. business for the company, we get a nice bonus. Well, suddenly the company had 10 eager salespeople. It empowered the company. And even in time of recession right now, that's what companies need to do is empower their team, incentivize them to grow the business and make sure that, as I like to say every morning, I've heard there's a recession coming, but I've decided not to participate. <laughs> <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. And uh, if people want to learn more about your book, how do they check out a few free chapters? Yeah, they can go to goodmoneychapters.com. The book has become a national bestseller, and you don't get rich on writing books is, is what I've learned. But I want to give this message to as many people as possible to help them make the money they deserve to achieve the meaning in life they've always wanted. And that's the core of Good Money Revolution, how to make more money to do more good. So they can go to goodmoneychapters.com, download the first five chapters for free, goodmoneychapters.com. But I'm on a mission, Rich, and the Mm -hmm. mission is to help people make the money they deserve to live the life they want to achieve the meaning they've always wanted. Outstanding. Derek Kinney at Derek T. Kinney on Instagram. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the conversation, sir. My pleasure. Thank you, Rich. Yes, sir. Don't go anywhere. It's Open Phone America here on the program, and it starts right now. Don't go anywhere. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to join our national town hall here at night. It's live, and you're welcome to be a part of this conversation. And it's been a a real joy tonight. We've been giving the nation's really first uh, in the nation response to the president's state of the union address. And, um, what's cool about it is that when we go on the air live and, uh, again, probably, uh, one of the very few live syndicated shows, um, in our time slot, the speech was still going on. So we were able to carry portion of that for you guys. Now I know some people, I saw some comments saying I'd rather, you know, gargle glass than listen to the state of the union. Listen, I understand Uh, It happens to be one of the functions of my job, so I have to do that. Uh, But in reality, uh, I probably, if I I wasn't on the air live during the the actual speech, I was invited to be there as part of the the media in the gallery there, and uh, I probably would have been there because I I would want to hear it. I I think it would have been really cool to join in some of the booing that we heard tonight. There was some booing that went on, 
And and it was it was an interesting thing to see Biden in this element last year. If you missed it, you could check it out on my podcast. I did a analysis of last year's State of the Union address and. It was actually very funny Uh, and not to uh, laugh at my own jokes, but the things that he said, it really sounded like he hired a Trump speechwriter and just said, all right, let's use all those Trump applause lines and and use them in our speech. And if you if you replay that speech or even listen to the episode, really funny when he says things like we got to we got to defend the police, not defund the police. That was Joe Biden that said that last year. It's like he becomes a Republican on uh, State of the Union night. And uh, today wasn't very different, but he was a little bit uh, more more uh, of himself, and that's why he got booed. <laughs> but uh, we're going to play some of that for you. And uh, it kicked off when uh, the sergeant-at-arms introduced the president this evening. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. So there you have a bunch of folks that are on the uh, Chinese payroll, I mean Democrats, that were cheering on the President's uh, triumphant entry into the um, Senate chamber for the joint session of Congress known as the State of the Union Address, where President Biden uh, said, you know, fentanyl is killing close to 70,000 people a year. Well, actually, you don't need me and my uh, weak impression of Biden. You could listen to him say it. Check this out. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. Big You got it. So let's launch a major surge to stop fentanyl production. So there you have it. Uh, He says fentanyl's killing uh, more than 70,000 people a year. Republicans yell, close the border. (laughs) I think it, it, and you moron followed that, but I'm not going to say that. And close the border. And he says, you got it. And he commits to to doing that. And he goes on to say, and we're going to work with couriers like FedEx to check and inspect more packages. And I'm th- look, I'm not going to discount the fact that maybe fentanyl is coming into the country through FedEx packages. I believe it. I'm sure it can happen. But I doubt very much that that is the number one source of fentanyl coming in. Now, of course, if we can crack down on that, we should stop it by all means. But for the president to, uh, it felt to me like he was, you know, just paying lip service to Republicans saying close the border and immediately switching over to FedEx packages. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe the cartels have a great FedEx credit account and, you know, they pay their bill at the end of the month. But I don't think most people are getting their their fentanyl that way. I think a lot of people are getting it by way of it coming in through cars and trucks and on the backs of mules and things like that and maybe even FedEx packages. But I just thought it was a very interesting... um, uh, pivot for him to go from saying, well, we're going to do it this way, but then we're going to go the other way, right? Uh, but the border was something I, I felt was kind of glossed over. Other than that one point where Republicans shouted out, you know, that we need to shut it down, it didn't get much attention, right? He didn't speak about how women, the young women that are crossing the border who are, you know, intercepted by the Border Patrol are admitting that they're being abused along the way. And and this is a, a very horrible thing, right? It's a very sad thing. And 
Biden made no commitment to that. He made lots of commitments to other things, and he tooted his horn quite a bit and nearly broke his arm, patting himself on the back. But he didn't talk about how women and young ladies are being abused crossing the border. But Gloria Chavez, she's the uh, Border Patrol chief, she said at a hearing today that she's debriefed many of these young ladies, and they've said exactly that, that they've been abused. Listen to this. Are there young girls who are being raped in the journey to the southern border? There are cases where we have debriefed uh, many of the young ladies, migrants that um, have come into our custody at our central processing centers that have said that they've been abused. This is incredibly, incredibly unfortunate. And to have this happening, you know, in Congress where there's a committee that they're doing their job as oversight and and they're finding out what's going on. To me, this is um, it's just not right. So, you know, kudos to Byron Donalds for asking these questions and for getting this work done. And and I say shame on the Biden administration for not putting more emphasis on this, because the the overall belief is that there is a wide open border at the southern border. And John Modlin, he's the Tucson Border Patrol chief. He said at, at the hearing today that most of the illegal immigrants that crossed the border believed that when Trump left office and Biden entered the office of president of the United States, that you were now allowed to come to the country through an open border. Listen to this. There was somebody who became president of the United States in January of 21. And on January 20, 2021, this gentleman um, actually got rid of the the migrant protection protocols, the MPP program. He stopped border wall funding. He actually uh, gutted the interior enforcement against illegal aliens. He put a 100-day moratorium to study border security protocols. In your opinions, you've done this job, both of you, for quite some time, and we thank you for your service. But in your opinion, do you believe these policy changes actually led to the drastic increases in border encounters at the south the southern border thank you sir for the question and and i will try to go fast what i can tell you in 27 years is that migration is is very complicated there are push and pull factors the thing i can tell you that goes to the spike that that you're talking about is in the tucson sector um interviewing people post arrest what what became the most common response was that they believed that when the administration changed that the law changed and policy changed and that there was an open border. There you have it. These are the people that are in charge, right? You've got the Border Patrol chief and the the chief of the Tucson sector, uh, both telling you that they're interviewing people and that the women are saying they're being abused and that overall the number one response they got is that they believe that Joe Biden was allowing them to have an open border. So if you know that there's misinformation out there, when you send Vice President Harris down there, uh, other than saying, look, don't come, don't come, you need a little bit more. I think you need a more forceful approach, and we're not seeing that approach from this administration. So we're going to continue discussing what Biden did and didn't do, what he did and didn't say in his State of the Union address. By the way, this is the... 100th anniversary of the first national radio broadcast of the State of the Union, which occurred in 1923, back when Calvin Coolidge was president. So awesome to be part of that history and uh, provide coverage of that this evening on the radio, live and national here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. So there you have President Biden uh, trying to take a cheap shot at Republicans and it backfired spectacularly while they were all in the room right in front of him. He did it to their face. They gave it right back to him, uh, proving the point that while he's saying some Republicans want to sunset Social Security. And as he says that, they immediately say, boo, because nobody wanted to sunset Medicare or Social Security. And they called him out on it. And it, it was great to see because what's he going to do now? Say, well, they, they do, I promise. And eventually, he, you know, he repeats, just call my office. Uh, you want to know if the Republicans said it, call my office. The Republicans were right there saying they didn't say it. So it was a really rich moment and one filled with booze. Uh, you know, I got to admit, um, I thought it was funny. And uh, it, it was probably one of the more eventful parts of his um, his series of smiles and squints and, and whiny whispers where, we got to make sure we teachers are earning more. Nothing about the cops, of course. Uh, he just says things like reform and reform and reform and talked about all these new jobs that were created but left out the fact that the jobs are created. Top five uh, states in the country creating new jobs. Four of them are, are red states that with Republican governors. So it, it's just um, – it was just a tough night, I think, for Joe El Baboso Biden. But I want to get to your calls, 833-482-5337, or our legacy line. That's still available, uh, 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626 is still there, and you're welcome to use it. And I want to go to Pittsburgh, KDKA. Let's go to Glenn. Hey, Glenn, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thanks go for right taking ahead, my call, Rich. You're I, welcome. I agree with you that the uh, debate on Social Security and Medicare sunsetting was the highlight of the evening. And what I saw was that after President Biden said that, uh, Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others were shouting obscenities and, and calling him a liar. And he turned that around by having a vote on whether they should uh, – Sunset Social Security and, and Medicare. And what I saw was he got in unanimous agreement from just about all the Republicans and the Democrats mm-hmm. not to sunset Social Security and Medicare. You're 100 percent right. And now they're all on the record and he looks like a fool. And I think that was one of the dumbest things he tried to go uh, ad lib during, a, a, you know, I, I ad lib all day. This is what I do. But he's, you know, he's reading a teleprompter and he's got to stay stick to the script and I realize that's tough. You know, when you're a radio guy, you know, probably the toughest thing I do is read things. <laughs> I always say, you know, they, they pay me to talk. They don't pay me to read. It's a lot harder to read things unless you've written them yourself. And uh, and I think Biden, he just really, he screwed the pooch big time tonight. Uh, I agree with you, Glenn. And and I, I got to tell you, I don't think there's a, um, a day that uh, or a, a time in history or even in the future as far as I can foresee or, you know, uh, predict in as much as I can predict anything, 
where we're ever going to see politicians that want to get reelected ever talk about eliminating Social Security or Medicare. If anything, they'd probably want to expand it to earlier ages and, and to more people because they like to provide more government services uh, to to everybody, to curry more favor with people. So I just don't think that's ever going to happen despite you know everybody saying there's no more money for it. They'll just keep raising taxes and printing money, and they'll make it happen. They'll raise the debt ceiling. They'll do whatever they got to do, but I don't think they'll ever let it uh, fall by the wayside. My thoughts. What do you think about that, Glenn? I th- I think that uh, Biden was correct. Uh, he was pointing out uh, Senator Rick Scott's platform for the Republicans in 2022, which caused mm-hmm. them, the uh, Republicans to uh, perform miserably in the in the election. Well, I don't think and it was, was entirely Rick Scott's. Um, I, uh, Rick Scott's his, <laughs> what, what he was talking about was not eliminating anything, but I think it was. Uh, improperly presented that way. And I don't think that was why they really, it, it really cost them anything. Uh, I think it's, it was a combination of things. I, I do think the, um, the Roe versus Wade impact uh, had some impact on it. I think that also had some impact on it, but I, I think ultimately it, it was just um, people were, were taking the election in my opinion for granted and they just didn't work as hard as they ought to have thinking that they had it because, you know, I think sometimes you get caught up in your own rhetoric or the rhetoric that you're you're surrounded by. And I'm guilty of it, too. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not. I, I make fun of Joe Biden and I say he's incoherent and he sounds like a bumbling idiot. That's why I call him Joe El Baboso Biden. But I really, truly don't believe Joe Biden's an idiot. I think he makes bad choices. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, what he did tonight, that, that was expertise, Right. It takes a lot of expertise to be able to squint and smile and use these these changes, these changes in voice where you talk like this. I mean, these are things he's practiced, you know, for five decades and he knows that they're effective. And he knows that if he talks about the single mom and and he, he puts out these these um, these red meat platitudes that will appeal to just about everybody or at least those in his party. Uh, that he's going to get these these uh, standing ovations. You know, so when you're talking about the the uh, concert tickets and uh, or the the hidden fees when you go on vacation. These are, you know, or the, you know, stopping cancer with, um, you know, trying to prevent 50 percent of cancer. Nobody's going to fight you on that. You might get somebody who's going to say like me saying, good luck. I don't think you're going to be able to pull it off, uh, but I hope you can. And I wish you the best. But for the most part, people are going to applaud that because too many people have a loved one that's been afflicted by cancer and nobody's going to want to poo-poo an idea like that. And I think that's, um, you know, kind of how he survived most of the evening talking about those things. But good call. Interesting points. I appreciate it. Uh, Glenn in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Much appreciated. Now, let us go to my buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. K-O-F-I. Frank, quickly, you have about a minute. Okay, uh, it was about 20 years ago, there was this uh, Survivor show with Richard Hatch, yep. and he was the nudist uh, that uh, bought his match, uh, took his million dollars and built a mansion in New Hampshire, but then he had to do federal time, and then, he, of course, he lost his place in a bankruptcy, but there's a windshield factor that's really bad out there on the beach right now. I just was wondering if anyone's seen him uh, lately. Is he wandering around with Biden? Um, I believe that he, uh, I don't know. 
Actually, I'm looking at the wrong Richard Hatch. <laughs> so uh, we'll find out if he's on Rehoboth Beach with, with Biden. Um, because let's see here, just to see. Is, yeah, it looks like he's still around. There's another Richard Hatch, an actor, who, uh, who died in 2017. Uh, but this guy seems like he's still around. But anyway, um, thank you for the call, Frank. I appreciate it. I'm not sure where we were going with that one. That one went over my head. Excuse me. But there is more to come straight ahead on your call. State of the Union special edition tonight and everything else we're talking about. Give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming straight back to you. Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. President Biden and I don't have a lot in common. I'm for freedom. He's for government control. At 40, I'm the youngest governor in the country. And at 80, he's the oldest president in American history. I'm the first woman to lead my state. And he's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. <laughs> That's uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, former White House press secretary and, of course, uh, the governor of Arkansas, delivering the Republican response. And I think she's spot on. And, you know, a lot of people were, were really impressed with Joe Biden's performance tonight. And not so much me, but... Um, Others, uh, one of them, Charles in Montgomery, Alabama, he says he's amazed that Biden was able to talk for so long. <laughs> I think I agree with that one, Charles. And uh, we're going to continue with your calls and a couple of other clips of audio I want to get to into a few different topics. Uh, but let us continue. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And let's go to Pat in Sedona, Arizona, listening from Aspen, Colorado on KNFO, streaming online. Hey, Pat, welcome. Hey, uh, Rich, how you doing? You know what? I went to watch, uh, watch and listen to a, uh, uh, union speech, you know, to the nation was talking to the Congress and I got a good stand up comedy routine. I thought, I tell you, this guy, uh, I don't know how many lies he talks about, but you know, it's not funny. It's, yeah. it's anything but funny. I mean, you think about those poor women. They've been raped and brutalized along the border. I mean, the children. I mean, this man has caused this. This man has turned our government on the people. Our government is, I've never seen the United States government want to go out and do harm to the American people, and they do. And there's not all of them. There are some good people in there, and they're staying quiet. I don't know how long they can do it for. But I'll tell you, it's, it's, you know, in all the booze and the cat calls and, and the liar yellings and stuff, that's embarrassing. This is our government. 
This is the government I fought for. And you'd think we would have a person up there that we could all respect, and we can't. That woman in Arkansas, she hit it spot on. I mean, mm-hmm. that woman was great. I mean, fantastic. Republicans, they come out strong. They have great ideas. But, I mean, it's just like they, I don't know, maybe the Republican Party is split like they say. I mean, maybe there's some guys are in there that are just like Lizzie Graham. He's a pretty much a good liberal Demo- uh, Republican, and he gives a lot of hard times. You're our favorite guy. I always forget his name, but I always remember his nickname that you give him, the Turtle. And uh, oh, Mitch McConnell. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, Mitch McConnell. I mean, these guys are not for our country, and they represent a, a party that wants freedom and wants everybody to have personal responsibility. But, man, I tell you, it's um, with this balloon thing that this, it, this happened. My goodness. And they tried to turn it on Trump. Oh, my goodness. They tried, and boy, did they get caught and the day backpedal. All the journalists said, oh, yes, this happened. And you know what? They forgot. They were supposed to report this to the commander-in-chief. That's who the Trump was. He was commander-in-chief. And they backpedaled and said, oh, no, this didn't happen. This didn't happen because that's treason. And that you can, you can, you know, it's I don't know if they'll ever do it, but execute uh, a military man for treason like that. Mostly they just throw him in the crossbar hotel in Leavenworth. But I tell you, it's uh, that thing with the Chinese. I mean, uh, you wonder how— You're talking about the spy know, balloon? You, I just want to chime in. You know, I don't think they'd yeah, ever be but, able to um, to get—they um, they wouldn't throw the president in, in, um, in Leavenworth because the commander-in-chief is always a civilian. So Leavenworth is kind of reserved for, for military people. Uh, so I don't think that'll happen. But I, I agree with you that I think, you know, it's a little hasty and it's it's tough and we're not used to making these outrageous claims. But it may not be so outrageous to suggest that somebody, maybe not Biden, but somebody somewhere in the hierarchy of our national security um, apparatus, in my opinion, has given aid and comfort to our enemy. And you know, for the treason statute to work, we have to be in an act of war with them. Uh, we're not. So I, I don't think that would fly. But it, it is uh, seditious, in my opinion. And again, my opinion doesn't count because I'm a talk radio guy. And, you know, you would need a, a Merrick Garland or someone uh, in, in that capacity to be able to bring that. And it's it's a shame that we don't have someone that would take that stand. Uh, but and it's also a shame, I just want to add to what you're saying, that it's also a shame that we have people that would go this far and flirt with the edge or with the line of, of treason or sedition and, and really be that friendly towards what they like to call our adversaries and I'll call our enemy China. And there's others. And it, it's it's scary to me. It really is. It's scary to me to think that we allowed this to go on, this spy balloon for as long as we did. And blow it up only when it's, you know, super convenient for for the Chinese. You know, after they've had a week of spying, great, here we are. Yeah, Pat, you know, I think you bring up a lot of great ideas and a lot of great points. And and the only way I think we get past this is by getting rid of the Democrats. And whether you like Republicans or not, they're the only people putting up the fight, right? Yes, you know, it's like I'll be the first one to say it. We've got a spy balloon gate. 
coming up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I tell you, it's it's not funny, but you know what could be in those balloons? A lot of people say, well, it could be a nuclear weapon, but you know what? It could be COVID because I do believe COVID came from China. I do believe yeah, it. Yeah, I just don't know if the balloon is, is able to disseminate it or not. But again, we won't ever know what is in that balloon because we destroyed it over the water instead of destroying it over, uh, you know, uh, over Frank from um, Evergreen, Montana's house where we could, you know, go there and retrieve whatever fell down from the sky and investigate. So the whole thing seems fishy to me, and uh, I'm really disappointed. Pat, very convenient. You there? It's very convenient. Yeah. Amen, my friend. All right, brother. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate you listening. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. We got a couple of clips of audio and uh, and some uh, headlines. Some of them uh, funny, some of them a little bit sad, but either way, we're going to get to them. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, there's a piece of audio I want to play for you uh, from CNN earlier today, and it's fascinating to me. It's Kate Bedingfield. She's the White House Communications Director. She's on with Don Lemon. Uh, who I like to call Don Limon. And uh, her and Don Limon are, are discussing what's going on over the course of 2023 and over 2022 and into next year. And and she starts saying, look, people are going to start to feel the impact in 2024. <laughs> and I'm thinking this is not a good pitch to the American people. Listen to this. Why aren't the American people feeling it? Because the polls are showing that the American people are not feeling that. Is that the issue with the president? Is that the communications office? What is going on? Well, well, remember where we were when President Biden came into office. We were uh, we were in the depths of a pandemic. The economy had ground to a halt. Inflation was creeping up, not just here, but around the globe as a result of the pandemic. And so the president took quick action, meaningful action to start rebuilding this economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And the choices that he's made have, again, led to historic job creation, historic low unemployment. And people are starting to feel that around the country. But as the president would be the first to say and will say tonight, we're going to keep talking about what those impacts mean. Over the course of 2023 and into 2024, people are going to start to feel the impact of some of the major legislation that we passed, the infrastructure law, the Inflation Reduction Act that's low lowering prescription drug costs and lowering energy costs for people. People are going to start to feel the impact of that. So people are going to feel the impact in the next year or two. I think people are feeling the impact right now when they try to buy a carton of eggs. And it's these types of weak responses from folks in the Biden administration that are, are causing guys like Don Limon to ask those questions. Again, I got a transcript of that right in front of me. Uh, he, you know, his question was, why aren't the American people feeling that? Because the polls are showing that the American people are not feeling that. Is that the issue with the president? Is that the communications office? What's going on? Basically saying you keep saying things are going so well, 
but they're not going well. And that's Don Limong from CNN. The Democrats are questioning what's going on with Joe Biden. Now, earlier we had a conversation with former Governor Scott Walker, who joined us in the first hour. And we talked about the State of the Union. And, and he pointed out this uh, this poll by ABC News that four in 10 Americans say they've gotten worse off financially since Joe Biden took office. And this is uh, the most that we've ever seen in the ABC News Washington Post poll dating back 37 years. And this is fascinating to me, right? And and it goes on to say that, you know, he's done, he's done worse than even Trump did, right? At, at the same time, it was, uh, Trump was 44%, Biden's uh, higher than that. And the number goes up even more when you talk about Democrats that don't want him to see um, to see him be reelected. That's an ugly number. Uh, let me see if I find it again. Six in ten. So 60 percent of Democrats uh, or those at least are sympathetic to Democrats say that they do not want to see Biden nominated again for the job. And that's higher than just half of Republicans who would rather not see Trump as their party's nominee. So not looking good for Biden. Not looking good at all. Let us uh, go to North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead, sir. Hello, Rich. How are you? Wonderful, brother. What's going on? Can't miss your show. Um, Thank you. I I appreciate your listenership. You're welcome. The the, uh, State of the Union address, in Biden's case, should be called the State of What I've Done Wrong address or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> I could say, say worse words, but how I'm destroying America address. You pick whatever you want to pick. But I think we need Trump back. What's your opinion, sir? Yeah, listen, I, I think uh, I missed the Trump policies, America first policies, pro-growth policies, uh, policies where he deregulated so many things from the EPA and, and other uh, uh, entities in Washington where, you know, this is how you get growth when you, Reagan said it best, you know, get off my back and out of my pocket. Once that happens, when big government becomes uh, more hands off and in effect, smaller government, you see things happen. One of the things you see happen is people make more money. As people make more money, they spend more money and the government takes in more tax receipts. So it's a win, win, win for everybody across the board. And we've seen it with John F. Kennedy. We saw it with Ronald Reagan. We saw it with George W. Bush. And we've seen it with Donald Trump. Yet there's still people that, you know, um, uh, reject the idea and they say, no, 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 because trickle down economics doesn't work. That's a falsehood. And they create this name trickle down economics. You know, there's no um, conservative or Republican out there that pushes the notion of trickle down economics. And it's because they try to make it look like Republicans are creating an economy for the people at the top of the pyramid and that it's too trickle down. Now, there is truth that if if there is a tax break given to uh, business owners, of course, business owners have employees and that will trickle down. But this is not something that was created by any Republican or conservative. This is what Democrats used to try to sell their story that you build the economy from the bottom up and you do. 
just like you're building a house because in reality it's it's mom and pop starting that one little store that becomes a second you know bigger store and a bigger location now they got a warehouse now they expand to online sales and voila they've got a huge business on their hands that's the american dream and we we see those things happen time and time again and we saw them happen a lot during the years trump was in office now of course this um COVID-19 pandemic really screwed things up. He went along with the shutdown and you know, following the science, the advice of Deborah Burks and Dr. Fauci and the people that were around him. And voila, we have this problem, right? And again, I don't blame the problem entirely on Trump. I'm just saying, you know, the, the economy was shut down. We went through it. They had to print some money to be able to inject money into the economy. Again, I didn't agree with it, but it happened. And I figure if you ever have to do that, let it be when there's a pandemic going on, not post-pandemic when people should be getting back to work. And instead, we're firing cops and firefighters and nurses for doing the work they've been doing all along and throughout the pandemic. And now we're turning a blind eye to them. I just thought it was so distasteful and, and what Biden did coming into this and what he's done since. Bad place to be, but I'm glad that he, um, Trump, did what he did. So that's my answer to you, Matt, on should we have Trump back, or at least his policies. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, more to come straight ahead. Uh, Open phones across America. We're going to get to your calls and a little bit more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Best head of hair in live late night radio, six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. All right, that is Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy reading the Constitution today on on the floor of the House uh, because they're taking a stand, taking a stand against what's going on in the Biden administration. Uh, I think, honestly speaking, I think there are folks within the Biden administration that are taking a stand against what's going on because they've realized, look, we're going to lose we're going to lose. Again, just referencing this ABC News uh, poll here, which says uh, six in 10 Democrat aligned adults don't want to see Biden nominated again for the job. That is bad. Very, very bad. I mean, think about that. A sitting president and his own team wants to get rid of him at the tune of 60 percent. No bueno. That's disappointment. Let's go to our buddy Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, what's going on, brother? Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, yeah, yes, you know, Likewise. I'm pretty disappointed. Um, I, I think it was a bunch of hogwash about what he said, you know, and I was really disappointed in his response to the border crisis because that's pretty bad. And this this notorious balloon that floated by, you know, I mean, I don't think he said a whole lot about that. I think I caught most of the, the uh, speech there, the address. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I can just hear. You know, Paul, I think ahead. he made a um, 
a, a statement where he said, and when our adversaries like China want to test the sovereignty of the American people or the American whatever, we're going to protect our sovereignty. And he got thunderous applause as if he was some sort of General Patton. Yeah, and Bob, I must have missed that part because, you know, I do have to go to the bathroom now and then. But anyway, you know, I can just tear him on that balloon right now, getting on the radio, and here's how it goes. <clears throat> hey, Xi Jinping, yeah, hey, you guys done looking? Yeah, we sure are. Why don't you go ahead and shoot that balloon down? <clears throat> Roger, we'll go ahead and do that. You know, I mean, <laughs> that balloon to, to float over like that. You know, come on, man. Something's yep. up there. But I was pretty disappointed. And, he's, you know, about inflation and so forth, all those jobs were brought back because of all the jobs that were lost with COVID. And But let me tell you something. This is about the alert, the most alert I've seen him in a long time. He did look yeah. pretty alert tonight. I'll give you that. He did. I agree but with you. He did. also looked like he had a fresh face of Botox or whatever fillers he's using. Uh, the poor guy, he's giving it his best shot. He's looking good for 80. And... um what are you going to do? I mean, we've got to get rid of this guy one way or the other. Hopefully it's, um, you know, his own people will help push him to the side, put a, a, a wonderful candidate. People say, oh, it would be terrible if Kamala. I would love to see Kamala get into this race. Boy, imagine that. Kamala versus El Trumpito. What a race. Paul in Zanesville, I want to thank you for your call. Ladies and gentlemen, until the next time, hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. You take care, have a good night, and God bless. And we're going to do it all again tomorrow on America at Night with Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.